0: We're living in strange and difficult times. All of us have been hugely impacted by coronavirus. Women in particular have been seriously affected, but the needs of women in the sex industry are often overlooked. Hi, I'm Anna, the development worker for Click, which is a partnership of organisations working together to support women who sell or exchange sex in Scotland. This is the first in a series of podcasts called Clickcast, where myself and Shannon, the resource and information officer for Click, explore how coronavirus has impacted the lives of women who sell or exchange sex. Over the coming weeks, we're gonna speak with women about their needs and experiences, as well as with various services about how they're responding to those needs during this pandemic. Today, we're looking at what life is like for women right now. What do women need? We'll be asking how the pandemic is affecting women who sell or exchange sex, and what is being done to take those needs to decision makers. We may at times talk about themes that are difficult and potentially triggering, and unsurprisingly, we may also talk about sex. Hi everyone and a really warm welcome to the very first ever Clickcast. As I mentioned on the introduction, my name is Anna, I'm the development worker here with Click, and I'm here with Shannon, the resource and information worker. Hi Shannon, how are you doing? Hey Anna, I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Um, I guess a good place for us to start is to tell you a little bit more about who Click are and what we do for Click. It's already a word that we've mentioned quite a lot. So I think it'd be worthwhile just just giving us a bit of information about that.
1: Yeah, so like we said in the introduction, um, CLIC is a, a partnership of organisations working together across Scotland to provide support to women who sell or exchange sex or images online and we are funded by the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport via the Fan contacts and we provide support in lots of different ways to women. Uh, and this has changed quite a bit um, during the coronavirus pandemic as well. So you can access um, live chat four days a week. You can also access our helpline four days a week as well, uh, and one-to-one support uh, with a, a Click women's worker in your local area. And all of our support is delivered through our website, click.scot. So I'm not a, a women's worker with Click. I'm the resource and information officer. And basically what that means is that I design resources for women that contain helpful and accessible information. So especially right now during the the pandemic, it has been very much about um, what sort of financial support am I entitled to and how can I access that? What services are still operating in my local area that can help me out and what kind of support can they give me? So it's all been very much about trying to meet women's immediate needs right now. Anna, um, your role is quite different from mine. Do you want to speak about your role?
0: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I'm the development worker. That's the third time I've said that title so far today. Um, basically, it's, it's one of those titles that could mean a lot of things. But what it really means is about working alongside women with lived experience of the sex industry um, in developing the service. Um, it's about making sure that women are at the core of Click and what we do, making sure that the service works for them um, and is it based on their actual real needs. But it's also about looking for creative ways for women to tell their story or to talk about different parts of their experience within the industry. And it's also about shaping other um, pathways within sort of more mainstream services and taking those women's voices up to the strategic level, to decision makers. Um, that kind of phrase, strategic level decision makers, is kind of one of those ones where it could mean a lot of things. But Shannon, could you tell us a bit more about what we mean when we're talking about that?
1: Yeah, so it does sound a bit vague when you say, oh, we want women's voices to be taken up to decision makers and up to the strategic level, which is always a word that I struggle to say and I'm surprised that I was able to say it there. (laughs) Um, So basically, if we think about this sort of decision making as like a triangle and the triangle's got three levels in it and sort of government decision making sits at the top and that has groups like COSLA, um, which is the local authority lead. So they really inform decision making coming from government level down into kind of local level. And then at the local level, you've got your things like local violence against women and girls partnerships or local community planning uh, groups as well. And then that decision making kind of filters down then directly to services like Click, who are providing direct support to women. So this decision making then is sort of top down in a way. And what Click is aiming to do through things like this podcast is to help ensure that women are actively involved in shaping the service and shaping other services for women as well so that their voices are a core part of that decision-making process. It's just not the case that the government is implementing decisions and that affects what kind of support women can access. They themselves are an active part of that decision-making being able to say what works, what doesn't work, what they need to see change. And so we really hope through through Clickcast um, that we can help support women to do that. This first episode is a sort of general overview of the different needs and issues and challenges that women are facing right now. And then each subsequent episode after this one, we'll be looking at a specific issue. So things like money, online safety, housing really looking at that issue in depth with women and services to find out what's been going on right now for women, how services are responding to that and how women and services want to see government response improve to that and service response improve to make sure that um, what women need right now
0: is actually being addressed. So yeah, what we're really hoping to do is to bring women's voices to the fore. We're going to be speaking to services um, throughout the, the series of podcasts that we have so hopefully this is a way of also bringing some information to, to women who sell or exchange sex as well and then also hopefully um, ensuring that those needs that women have are actually thought about as well. One point about our language with the podcast, you'll have noticed that we've already used the word women quite a lot. Click is an inclusive service that works with um, women, with trans women and with non-binary people. But um, we recognise that people of all genders are involved in selling or exchanging sex. So we hope that some of the information that we've got here is useful um, to anyone who sells or exchanges sex. Another wee point, this is like a little housekeeping section, another wee point about the podcast is like the whole of Scotland at the minute, um, we are working from home as are all of the people that we've spoken to for the podcast so that may mean that there is a few dodgy moments with background noise so door slamming or toddlers um, running about the place you also might hear a few little robotic zoom voice moments which i think a lot of us um, are getting more and more used to as well these days so just um so that you're aware of that that the sound quality unfortunately will not be perfect this first podcast is particularly heavy on interviews of services. The interviews are all based on the experiences of women who access those services. Um, and I've also spoken with women and their experiences have also informed our discussion generally. I'd like to say a massive thank you to all the women that we have spoken with, um, both for this podcast and also just generally, and um, particularly over this, this time with coronavirus. We would love to hear from other women who'd like their voices to be part of the podcast. Um, We'll have some details in the show notes about how you can contact us. Um, If you contact us, it'll be confidential. And if you want to be part of it, you can be part of it anonymously. But can I just say a massive thanks again? So we really want this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So if we're saying this podcast is about women's needs during the pandemic, we really need to talk a little bit about what the industry was like prior to the pandemic, particularly for anyone who doesn't really know much about the industry. If you do know plenty about it, then please feel free to skip forward three or four minutes and we will see you on the other side. The sex industry itself is pretty vast and varied, with women selling or exchanging sex in lots of different ways and in lots of different settings. Before Covid, it included things like lap dancing, porn, escort agencies, phone sex lines, webcamming, working on the street, um, in brothels, and saunas, and selling images via private galleries, for example. So, some women will be on the street, um, so that might take place outside or somewhere in a car, while others will be indoors and online. Um, these days, and prior to Covid, a lot of women advertise or are advertised online on websites like Adult Viva Street, Gumtree and Craigslist. And whilst there are all these different aspects of the sex industry, what a lot of women had in common prior to the pandemic was seeing clients face to face. So some of the language around that includes things like in-calls, which is where women see punters or clients in their space. So whether that's their own home or a flat there or maybe an escort agency use used for that purpose or maybe a hotel room. Um, and out-calls are where women would be going to the client or the punter often in that um, person's home. Women can also be operating in things like brothels um, where quite often there might be more than one woman. Um, Sometimes with somebody controlling them, um, sometimes also with women who've been trafficked as well, or saunas which are unique to the Edinburgh area. So basically, selling or exchanging sex prior to Covid is extremely reliant on close contact with another person generally. Another way that some people differentiate between different forms of the sex industry is some people refer to in-person or indirect services. So that's almost a way of differentiating between online or in-person. Women who sell or exchange sex aren't a homogenous group so they won't necessarily have the same experiences as one another and I think it's really worthwhile bearing that in mind. So one thing that we've tried to do is we've tried to take into consideration as many different women's needs as we can but if you are a woman who's got lived experience of the sex industry and you don't hear your experiences reflected here then we would absolutely love to hear from you.
1: So now that we understand how the industry worked before we can start looking to see just how exactly COVID has impacted the industry and what this means for women. So back on the 6th of March, there was a great article published in Refinery29 by a woman who's involved in escorting. And she says that she first started feeling the effects of COVID way back in January, February time. So for this woman, a lot of her clients travel to the UK for business. So conferences, business meetings, and a lot of her her clients were having these events cancelled, having their flights cancelled as well and so inevitably had to cancel their meeting with her too. And also at this time it makes sense that clients may be watching the news and seeing the reports from Wuhan of just how serious coronavirus actually is and so at that point making the decision not to make a booking in order to look after the, their own health. But as time went on and we entered March and formally went into lockdown. The social distancing protocols that we need to live with every single day in order to look after our own health and well-being directly affect how women are able to meet with clients. So if we are unable to meet with anyone from outside of our household, if we need to maintain a two metre distance from people outside of our household, the fact that we aren't able to leave a house except to go for an essential food shop or get medical care or go for exercise. This all directly impacts how women are actually able to, to see clients and so for women who relied exclusively on seeing clients face-to-face in order to make their money, that income essentially went overnight and this is incredibly difficult for women If the way that you paid your rent, paid your bills, put food on the table for you and your kids, if that way of making income almost disappears overnight, of course, it's incredibly stressful, incredibly upsetting. And many women have been faced with now the difficult decision of whether or not to move their services online. So when I say moving online, I mean to webcamming platforms like Chatterbait. And to private gallery platforms, so things like OnlyFans and Admire Me. So just very quickly, for those that don't know, webcamming platforms like Charterbait, they work in the sense of a woman will do like a live stream show where viewers can pay in tokens to see her content. But then on private gallery sites like OnlyFans and Admire Me. Women will upload pictures and videos and these are kept behind a paywall and then clients subscribe um, to a woman's account um, and basically pay a monthly fee in order to access that content. And sites like Charterby and OnlyFans have reported a massive increase in new signups of both subscribers and also content creators, so women who are publishing content on the platform. So they've both seen a 75% increase since since March. And what this means is that these platforms are becoming saturated. There are many, many women who are publishing content on these platforms, but not necessarily the same level of demand to, to match because you need to remember that clients are also in lockdown. They're working from home with less privacy. They may have been furloughed or lost their job and so they have less money. And it's important to point out that moving online isn't an option for all women. We spoke to Anastasia Ryan, who is the director of Umbrella Lane, which is a sex worker led peer support and wellbeing network in Glasgow. And she says that for many women, moving
2: online is costly and potentially very unsafe. So for people who engage in sex work, they really kind of felt, I think, the the impact of COVID-19 as early as February, when um, news started coming out about the virus and the need to apply social distancing measures. So from then, even before lockdown, um, sex workers were left without the ability to make income. They couldn't go and meet clients in person um and and from then on i've really kind of felt a, a need to to be agile in their business model to try and move their business online for example and um, to go into online advertising platforms or engage in things like webcamming and um, but for many of the workers within our network it's just not been feasible to do that a because of the costs associated with moving your business online which applies the same to sex work as it does in other industries um, But also, and I think the, the kind of more pertinent fear there is around privacy concerns and anonymity. For many people who engage in sex work, they're not out to their families or their friends. Um, By being out, they run the risk of being prosecuted and criminalised in various ways if they work in ways that are criminalised in Scotland. Um, So to move your business online carries obviously an additional risk around anonymity and protection of identity. So for many sex workers, that just wasn't feasible.
1: And it's also really important to point out that again like you were saying earlier Anna, women in the sex industry aren't a homogenous group and for some women they aren't able to move online due to the fact that they don't have access to the tech that you would need, they don't have access to stable internet so moving online just isn't even on the cards for them and we spoke to Jenna, who's a women's worker at Vice Versa in Dundee, who support women who sell sex on street. And she had this to say.
3: I mean, a lot of the women are really struggling financially just now because the demand has really decreased um, to the extent that women have basically been, had a forced exit from prostitution because there's just the punters aren't there. So the women who are still involved, as much as I know, um, they have moved indoors most of them or all of them are selling from their home which obviously comes with risk too because then punters know where to live um, and those that are are only seeing maybe one or two regulars that they, that they already have contact with through phone i don't think that the woman i work with will be pushed to online but i think that's purely due to not having consistent access to internet
1: so from this then, we can see that it's, it's not it's not just a case of, oh I'm not able to see clients face to oh, face, what's it's fine, I'll just open up a profile on, on one of these sites and start seeing clients there. It really isn't that easy and for some women that just it isn't an option either, whether that be due to concerns about safety and data privacy or whether it's an issue of actually having access to stable internet, it's just not on the cards for some women at all and what this means then is that some women are faced with an absolutely horrible decision of do I continue to see clients face to face and put my health at risk or do I stop seeing clients and have no way of paying my bills, paying my rent, making sure I've got food on the table. Just before we start looking at the, the specific needs that women have brought up here eh, to ourselves at Click and to the other services that we spoke to for this podcast, I just want to um, take some time to listen to a clip from Linda Thompson, who is a National Coordinator for Commercial Sexual Exploitation in Scotland, and part of her role is around coordinating the Encompass Network which is a partnership of organisations that provide support to women who sell exchange sex and Click's a member of that network as well. And Linda's also me and Anna's boss. And she points out that women who sell or exchange sex, they're facing the same challenges that we all are as women right now, but they're facing these challenges we trying to navigate the changing nature of the sex industry.
4: I think one of the things for me, Anna, is really important is whilst women are involved in selling exchange and sex, they are women. They are partners, they are lovers, they are mothers, they are daughters, you know. Um, so all, a lot of the issues that all women are facing around COVID um, are exa- exactly the same for women who are involved in prostitution or the sex industry. You know, they're still juggling health concerns. They're managing their kids. They're trying to do homeschooling. You know, they're thinking about relatives They're thinking about, you know, caring, Um, they're thinking about getting food, they're getting shopping and they're thinking about finances and worrying about their futures. So I really I think it's really important that we don't somehow silo the women, even in COVID um, and think that they aren't dealing with some of the real awful situations and pressures that the rest of us are. They are women. But additionally, you know, I think COVID has really flagged up and brought to the fore the difficulties that women in the sex industry do face.
0: So at Click, the platform, Your Voice, is where women can share their needs, their experiences, and their stories. And back when the pandemic really started to take hold we spoke to several women um, through that platform about their immediate needs so at this point I really just want to say a massive thank you to those women um, who we were in contact with and um, those needs have informed this podcast in particular and we'll be talking kind of generally about some of the things that those women brought up. At this point as well I just want to say that your voice is always there if any woman does want to get in contact with us and um, we're going to put everything in the show notes afterwards, uh, the ways that you can get in contact with us but if you do want to be part of the podcast um, then we would love to hear from you and we can can do that in whatever way works best for you, totally at your pace. And um, it can be done anonymously. And um, yeah, just thank you so much if you do want to get involved. Right back at the start of the pandemic, we also published a poll on the Click website, which was looking at what women's immediate urgent needs were. So generally, what we're hearing from this poll um, are women can bringing up various concerns, but the main one that they really focused on was money. Other things like mental well-being, safety, housing and sexual health um, all seemed important and obviously they're all kind of interlinked as well. So what we're going to do for the rest of the podcast is actually look at each of these areas in a bit more detail, starting off with money, the most urgent need that women identified. Many women are now in this position where
1: they're trying to navigate the benefit system for the first time in their life, they're trying to access universal credit. Um, many women aren't eligible for things like the self-employed schemes either
0: and it's been a, a really difficult process hasn't it? Back in those early days there was so much confusion um, and like I guess for so many people money was an immediate urgent need but if you think about it particularly for women who sell or exchange sex with social distancing and um, with the advice that's coming out we know that so many people uh, so many women have had to to stop or try and move online, so that immediate way of them getting money was totally taken away from them, and that then, like you say, has a domino effect through your life. If you're not able to put food on the table, if you're not able to rely on an income coming in, then that has a massive, massive impact. I think on on anyone's like mental wellbeing, and emotional wellbeing, and potentially physical health as well. So I think particularly around that idea of benefits. We've heard from some women that that process has kind of been okay, like they've not been on the phone for too long, but for other women, um, actually, it has been really tough. Uh, you're talking like hours of wait. And then at the end of the day, when you're talking about universal credit, you're talking about a system that means that you have a five or a six week wait before money mm-hmm. actually comes in. So, yeah, you can get the loan at that point, but you still have to pay that back. So it's a bit of a false economy there. So it's women having to be part of this hugely complicated unnecessarily complicated system quite potentially for the first time and then having even when they're in that system having a huge drop in income as well. It's also for some women an experience of
1: having really unclear confusing information from advisors as well some women aren't really sure how much money they will be receiving when the is going to come through what the money's even going to cover and as always as well um women engaging with these sort of mainstream services there's the worry there about potentially having to disclose being involved in the sex industry and the stigma that goes around with that as well.
0: Definitely and I think you know there's also women who are involved in selling or exchanging sex who might have been registered as self-employed but obviously that money is only just starting to come through now and think about how long we've been in lockdown for so some of those women will have had to apply for benefits and had that Um, real uncertainty and uncertain weight. I think it's a good point to hear from Rachel, who is a women's worker with Edinburgh-based service Another Way. Um, Another Way are a service with Sacro, and they support women um, who are involved in selling and exchanging sex. They support women on street, and they also support women who work uh, online um, and indoors as well. So Rachel is a women's worker who mostly works with women who are online and indoors. So here's Rachel telling us a bit more about how women are experiencing that significant drop drop in income and a bit more um, about how that is impacting women in the long term.
5: Finances is, is for sure the number one money. When I speak to the women that I, that, that I work with, when I ask them, it's it's money. It's what money am I going to have tomorrow? What money am I going to have next week? And what money am I going to have in three months? You know, there's those kind of the short, middle and long term kind of needs of where is this money going to come from? So there is um, funding available just now um, and these are really great and I've supported a number of women to access these and women are very very grateful but a lot of these are one-off sums of money so although that's really really great and it doesn't take away from the fact that it's really useful for women it still doesn't take away the kind of anxiety that they have about okay it's great I've got some money for just now but what what's going to happen in two weeks what's going to happen in three weeks. There's also benefits and Benefits is a very overwhelming experience, especially if you've never done it before, you've had no experience with it before. Um, it's a difficult process to try and navigate. So we are doing everything we can to support women to do this just now. Um, if that's helping them, showing them how to work universal credit um, telling them how to go through the processes of claiming, um, we can help with that um to make things a little bit more easy. I think it's different for every woman is what I'm what I'm hearing back is some women have done it and they've said, Oh, Rachel, I've always done it. It, it, it took me no time at all, it was fine. Um but some women are having much more issues and it is taking long and they're waiting and um if you're on a wait call for three hours um to try and get through, you know that's gonna really um make anyone feel a lot more anxious or or, or create a bit of kind of uncertainty and worry so it is difficult um, and there are some challenges um, in particular with universal credit as well because it's all online it's difficult it's not it's not the easiest of procedures
1: so like we're hearing there money is this really urgent fundamental need that just really isn't being met for women right now whether that's women really struggling to navigate the confusing benefits process whether it's the stress of women not being eligible for things like the self-employed scheme, or kind of struggling to make one-off grant payments last a, a significant length of time. And we'd be really, really keen to hear more from women specifically on money as the next episode of Clickcast will be looking at money specifically, looking at the different sort of government schemes that are in place. Are they working for women? Talking to women to find out what their experience has been like in terms of money during the coronavirus pandemic and what they want to see change. So we're looking for women right now to take part in our next episodes and
0: we'll put details in the show notes about how you can be involved in that if you want to. We'll also talk a little bit more about some of those funds that we've mentioned um, a little bit later on in the podcast, so stay tuned for that. So one of the things that we've already mentioned there is that real feeling of anxiety that women have, particularly tied into money worries. But actually, an overwhelming thing that we're hearing um, that women are experiencing just now is a huge sense of isolation and a real disconnection from other people, which is something that all of us are experiencing um, on some level. Um, But I think there is another level to that, for women who or exchange sex their friends and family might not know that they're involved so there's almost like another layer on top of that because they might not be able to talk about some of the specific things that they're concerned about we're going to hear next from anastasia she's really noted a huge sense of anxiety and um,
2: which is particularly amplified uh, by stigma i think again like like everybody that's experiencing the effects of of coronavirus globally there's a kind of um, like roller coaster of emotions with it, but we feel within our network the kind of sense of the unknown is like extremely prevalent. I think for many people, as the lockdown starts to look like it 's going to be relaxed in Scotland relatively soon, and um, for sex workers, they know that in work they cannot apply social distancing measures, so there 's an increased anxiety about when they can actually get back to work um, and what to be, what they can do in the meantime. And um, so I think in terms of that that feeling of, yeah, I think of anxiety, of fear, of stress, um, and, and of worry as to what the future holds. I think there's also a feeling amongst people within our network um, who who physically cannot afford to not work through coronavirus and are still continuing to meet a minimum number of clients through this, which we as a project do not encourage we encourage people to access all the support that, that is available. Um, there's some people who literally cannot afford to pay their rent or or pay their bills and pay for food at the moment and, and they don't qualify for the state support available and they're the people that are continuing to see clients. Um, for those people I think that there's a real sense of um, vilification rather than an understanding that this is not a choice to continue to work through this. Um, this is really a choice made out of you know a a decision between destitution or or putting their own health at risk by continuing to work and for us to see that sense of vilification of people in that position has been yeah quite heartbreaking.
0: think we just need to echo um one of the things that anastasia said there that there are women um involved in the industry just just now who they don't have a choice they are having to continue to sell or exchange sex and it's really important i think to think about the the added layers of worry and stress and anxiety that's going to be causing as well as that additional stigma that anastasia mentioned as well definitely so for some women they just don't have that
1: that choice there to stop seeing clients right now it's like i was saying earlier about that horrible decision that some women are having to make about whether do I keep seeing clients and put my health at risk or do I stop seeing clients and not be able to put food on the table and um, so the added stress and worry that that puts on women and the effect on women's mental well-being right now really can't be ignored and for some women as well the, the actual dynamics of lockdown like having our, our movements and um, which of course is necessary right now for us all to stay safe and well as individuals and also for our communities. But for some women, having to remain inside as much as possible, being restricted in where you can go, is actually echoing the sense of control and restriction they felt when they were involved in the industry. We also spoke to Brona Andrew of the Tara Project in Glasgow, um, who support women who have experienced trafficking. So they're based in Glasgow, but they do cover the whole of Scotland as well. And she had this to say about the isolation that the women they support are currently feeling.
6: So from the women that we are supporting um, and that have been referred to us, those women are beginning to struggle with social isolation. Um, At the start of lockdown, the the big need that women had was confusion. It was around information. Many of our women um, don't speak English. Many of those women also don't have, um, are kind of digitally excluded. So they don't have access um, to to the internet. They don't have kind of laptops or smartphones. um, Or if they do, kind of paying for data is very expensive for them. So a lot of women weren't getting the information. A lot of the information that was available online was initially only available in English. Um, so there was a lot of confusion and anxiety from women who didn't fully um, understand what was happening. That's settled a bit now um, and it's mo- women are now beginning to, to talk about struggling with social isolation, struggling with their movements being restricted, which for some women echoes. Um, their experiences before, when they were, they were experiencing trafficking um, and, and levels of control from perpetrators. So, so, so for our women, it really is social isolation. They miss their friends. Um, many of women we, su- we support are seeking asylum and are living on um, asylum support rates, which isn't a lot of money. So paying for kind of mobile data and to top up your phone can be prohibitive for those those women. So there's a real kind of isolation beginning.
0: So I think it's really important that we acknowledge these dynamics right now. So it's also good to mention that it's not just the case for trafficked women. There's going to be other women who sell or exchange sex who might have previously been in situations of control, um, or it might have been that they were previously in an abusive relationship, um, for whom this current situation is going to reflect those experiences for them. But there's also a lot of women who are currently still in those situations as well. Basically that means that due to lockdown, women are often trapped either in their own homes with huge amounts of trauma that they might not be able to access services appropriately currently to deal with, or they could potentially be trapped with an abuser as well in situations of, of violence um, or abuse. And we know that a lot of organisations um, within the violence against women sector in particular are really you know focused on trying to reach as many women as they can who are in those situations at the moment. Thinking about services and thinking about something else that they provide around mental well-being, a role for services is to provide a bit of reassurance and a bit of forward planning and a bit of hope but right now it's actually a really difficult thing for anybody to do because we don't know what's around the corner we don't know how long lockdown is going to end hopefully it's been lifted a wee bit now but that we could go back into lockdown at any point so that lack of being able to provide the reassurance that women are looking for is something that some services are currently struggling with as well.
3: I think it's important as well as a support service for us to be human too and acknowledge that this is a bad situation and we all have days that are harder than others and sometimes we are all fed up. Like, I'm totally on board with that some days. Um, That it's not just them who are struggling with it, it's a lot of people are struggling with it and we don't all have the answers. And I think that's the most difficult thing for them, is that they're used to maybe support services, being able to reassure them, to explain what's happening and to, you know, explain what might happen in the future but just now we don't have that.
1: And another source of anxiety for women right now is around about safety and women's ability to carry out safety planning for, for women that are having to continue seeing clients face-to-face because they don't have any other choice, they may not be in a position where they can screen clients um, as in depth as what they did before. And for women who are moving online, it's not necessarily the case that the same safety sort of tips and advice and mechanisms you had in place before when meeting with clients face to face are going to transfer on say online uh, platforms. So you may be in a position now where you're trying to think about your safety in a totally different way. And for women who are entering the, the industry for the first time as well, they may be completely unaware about what safety planning is even is, and they don't have access to the resources of the support networks for that.
0: Yeah, that's something that's really been echoed by some of the women who we've spoken to, who've raised concerns um, for women who are moving into the industry for the first time. Like you say, around that and um, perhaps lack of um, knowledge around where to tap into those resources um, around safety planning. But there's also something that some of the women raised around kind of boundaries and how punters or clients might actually be looking to push those boundaries and asking for bareback, which is sex without a condom, or asking for things like oral without a condom and things as well. Asking for services that actually the one might not be advertising or might not normally do because they recognise that actually that woman is in a really difficult situation um, and that lack of choice that she has around that might reduce her ability to create those boundaries and to be able to safety plan in the same way. This is something that's echoed also by um, Anastasia Ryan from Umbrella
2: Lane. For us, I guess there's a slight worry there, in that when people feel financially insecure, often their decisions around sex work um, are related to that that feeling of financial insecurity you know some sort of some people often kind of choose what services they offer and um, depending on on what they want to offer, what they feel comfortable to offer. But in a situation where you have many people working and trying to see high volumes of clients to make up for this time of having a lost income, we worry about people being protected in that sense and feeling able to exert their own boundaries. Um, to not get into situations of exploitation, to not get into situations where they feel forced to do things that they're not comfortable to do. So for us, Julie, there's gonna be a a huge priority there around supporting people in going back to sex work um, if they choose to do that.
1: Okay, so we're hearing from Anastasia that there's concerns around about financial insecurity and what this means for women's ability to maintain boundaries when seeing clients face-to-face. But a really important note to make is that this um sort of saturation of the market and financial instability this doesn't just impact women who are seeing clients face to face it also translates into online spaces as well and this is what rachel had to say about um the experiences of women that she supports during this this time
5: it's really difficult to make to make any money in fact it what one woman was saying to me just the other day is it's almost impossible for me to make even like half or a quarter of what I was making previously, um, so that is really difficult. And also, what comes with that is that women are maybe sitting on their computer all day, waiting, waiting for for custom, and that's also really difficult because they're putting themselves out there. They're wanting to try and try and get a little bit of that money back that they would have been earning, and the the constant kind of sitting around waiting it's that's not helpful for anyone's kind of mental health either men are maybe may pushing for more and for more and those boundaries are are definitely getting kind of slightly more relaxed because they they feel a need to make some money they feel a need to because they've got they've got bills to pay
1: so we're hearing there just the difficulties that women are having in terms of setting and maintaining boundaries and being able to safety plan right now but safety in a sense of security sort of goes beyond us as individuals Something that can help us feel safe and secure, especially right now, is our home and that sense of having a roof over our heads. And right now, with so many people being out of work, struggling to, to make an income for women in the sex industry, whose income virtually vanished overnight, that ability to maintain that roof over your head is such an anxiety just situation right now. And the Scottish and UK governments have tried to support people with housing around about introducing things like mortgage holidays and changing the eviction legislation so that it's the the case that you're not able to uh, be evicted during during lockdown. But there's big questions about whether those types of legislations and supports from banks and from governments actually goes far enough. And there was actually an article in the Huffington Post um, from Shelter um, on the 27th of May who are saying that they're really, really concerned about a rise in homelessness. They were basically calling it a wave of homelessness once these uh, eviction bans are lifted because many people have fallen into every year's during lockdown. It's not the case that this legislation has been brought in where people can't be evicted or therefore your, your rent isn't building up. That rent's still accumulating. And in the same vein as well with mortgage holidays, I think it's just quite important to actually tease apart that term. A mortgage holiday makes it sound as if, like, there's nothing to stress about, it's taken care of, this is out of your hands, you don't need to worry about it. But in the background, your mortgage payments are still building up. Once that mortgage holiday is over in three to six months, whatever it is, depending on which banks offer that, you are going to be expected to be paying that amount back. So I think there's just been a, a lot of sort of confusion and misinformation put out there that's almost lulled people into maybe a bit of a false sense of security. When really these measures
0: haven't went far enough? I think you're right and I think one of the things you're picking up on there is almost thinking about the long term, what housing is going to look like in the long term because obviously There's been, like you say, quite a lot of measures put in place for the short term, but actually, yeah, what is going to happen? Is there going to be a spike in homelessness? What's going to happen to all the people who are currently housed in hotels, for example, when the hotels actually are going to want those rooms back? What's going to happen with that? So there is something there that's missing, I think, at the minute around housing. Um, And that's something that's really echoed by um, Jenna from Vice Versa and, A lot of the women that she supports are actually really unsure about what their housing situation is actually going to be like after lockdown, so they don't know if they're going to have stable housing necessarily. And for some of the ones who are currently in temporary accommodation, that for them, for some of those women, actually, you know, you were talking about how your home should be a safe place, but actually, a lot of women who are in temporary accommodation currently feel like they're stuck there at the minute, um, and stuck, you know, as all of us are, in the same place with the same people over and over something around that um, lack of knowing what's going to happen in the future that's i mean you know that has a huge impact i think on um not only your short-term um well-being but also particularly on your kind of long-term well-being as well jenna also spoke to us about um a woman that she knows who was actually removed from her temporary accommodation during lockdown um, and i think that's that talks to a wider point about that we'll come on to chat to chat a bit more about it later but it's it's really a good opportunity for us all to be um thinking about mainstream responses to women who um, are involved in selling or exchanging sex and what they should look like um, and how they are currently responding because it sort of feels like nobody should be being kicked out of any accommodation right now with this current situation and i know that's something that jenna advocated very hard for for the women that she's supporting another point to make about housing is coming back to that point around boundaries Um, And for some of the women who Rachel from Another Way is supporting, um, they might have previously had two different properties. So one that they live in and one that they sell or exchange sex in. But that is actually a situation that for many women has changed because of coronavirus.
5: A few of the women that I work with have two properties that they rent from. So one that they live in and one that they work in just for kind of security reasons and for, for kinda of creating those kind of separate boundaries from kind of home and and work life. So for those women they've a lot of women have had to give up um their they're, they're working um flat because they can't afford the rent on both. So women are also worrying about when they do go back to work, are they gonna have to work from their home? Um a lot of women don't want to do that um for, 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 for reasons and that's a concern. Where are they gonna work from? Are they gonna have to go and work from hotels and then there's a lot of kind of um additional risk factors with that as well. So that's definitely a concern for some women that are kinda of advertising online. For other women they're just worried about paying rent, paying mortgage bills and I know just now there's some 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 holidays for rent and mortgage but how long is that going to last? Um so just now we have linked a few women into the, the your home housing service um and they can get some 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 support from them. So we,
1: we understand um, our house and our home as providing that a sense of security and safety and of course not every, everyone and not every woman in the sex industry um, has, has the, the luxury of that right now and something that many women don't have access to right now that also brings a sense of security and safety is access to routine sexual health appointments Now, it's completely understandable that sexual health clinics across Scotland aren't in the position right now to be providing non-emergency care. So, your routine STI screens, for example, appointments about contraception and things like that. But I think we can be very guilty during this time of making the assumption that, oh, but so many women are moving online and not seeing clients physically or so many women are taking a break completely from selling or exchanging sex right now, what do they need sexual health for? But this again overlooks the most vulnerable women at this time who don't have a choice but to continue seeing clients face to face, and if you're in a situation where you can access a routine sexual health screening, what does that mean for the safety and security that you feel within your own body? And I know that women that you spoke to, Anna, were really supportive and keen for sort of wider access to things like condom postal schemes, who are able to deliver an actual substantial amount of condoms rather than just a, a pack of like six that just really doesn't meet women's needs.
0: Yeah, and it's something that we'll probably talk about a little bit more. Um, when we come on to talk about what services are actually doing to meet women's needs just now Um, but definitely something like a a condom postal scheme is something that um, some of the women we spoke to were were quite positive about in some ways. Positive as long as it's obviously the right amount um, that's going out um, and I know from speaking to to Rachel from another way I think that they they can post large amounts out um, as can click. So yeah we're gonna in the next part where we talk more about what's being done to meet women's needs. We'll we'll look a bit more specifically at what is being done around sexual health um, at a kind of local level, but there are different barriers that are going to exist at any time to accessing um, sexual health, and access to, to quality and appropriate sexual health care is a right for everyone, and it's a huge part of general well-being as well. We know that there's kind of differences across the country. So people in rural areas, what does that look like for them just now compared to maybe people who are in a city who are still able to phone up a specialist clinic, for example. So I think it's really worthwhile at this point noting again that women who sell or exchange sex aren't a homogenous group and their lives and experiences can be influenced very much by their their geographical um, location as well. So that's something that we want to interrogate a bit more when we come to look more in detail about sexual health. And Another need for women that's been
1: brought up to us by services is this challenge that women are facing with the change in service delivery. So moving from face-to-face contact uh, with women's workers to now having to um, meet, uh, chat with women's workers over the phone or over things like Zoom. For some women this has been a real challenge, um, especially due to issues surrounding digital
3: connectivity. Obviously, in normal times, I'm able to physically go with them to like the job centre or the banks or, you know, welfare, whatever it is that they need, and that's fine. Um, But obviously, just now we're limited to what we can do. So I can speak to them on the phone and refer them to places. And then normally the places that we refer them to, like Brook's Bank Centre and things like that. they also speak to them on the phone. And I think women are just used to not, they feel like they're not taken seriously on the phone because of the way they speak or because they don't understand the questions or they feel like they're judged. Um, that the In general, they won't be taken seriously. And the, so when I'm with them, a lot of the time we're able to sit together and do it but a lot, they prefer if I do most of the talking and they just say, yeah, I give permission for Jenna to speak on my behalf or things like that. But just now, because of it being on the phone, they're having to do a lot of it because of data protection and things like that. Like I can't phone up their energy company and think, get things changed for them. Like They need to do that themselves. And I think they just find it quite hard to speak on the phone and know the right thing to say. Like with one woman, she put, she got out a pen and paper and was like, "What will I say on the phone?" And it, I was like, "You just need to explain your situation." It was for um, getting emergency funds from our electric company, which they were advertising that they can do. So I was like, "You're absolutely entitled to it. You can get this. You just need to explain your situation a wee bit, and then they'll probably ask your address and." I don't know a code on the meter or something like that and she was like no okay i'm gonna go get a, bit, a pen a pen and a bit of paper tell me what i should say so it's things like that that maybe we don't think of as being a big deal but it is
6: what we are hearing from women at the moment is they're missing that in-person contact so um before COVID we ran a, a a women's group um once a week and women are beginning to express um, and ask when will that be back and talk about how how they missed that contact with with other women that we were that we were working with and you know they're kind of struggling um around that. So I think some of the work just now that's been done about marginalized groups and ensuring they have that kind of digital access i think that would significantly assist women so not you know so things like having access to the internet but also access to wi-fi aim um, and support financially to pay for wi-fi or data would would help women make that
0: social contact so i think it's really important that we acknowledge just now how much of a change there's been in terms of um, the way that everyone is delivering services just now and how, yeah, there are real challenges about that. But there's also actually some really interesting things um, that have come from this massive change that we've all gone through. Um, Some services are being incredibly creative and flexible and adapting to all of these needs that we've spoken about. I'm not saying that any services has nailed it or got it totally perfect, but I think we really need to talk about some of the interesting work that's happening. It's interesting kind of leading in from that to start talking about Click. I don't want to like blow Click's trumpet um, but I do want to let you know some of the things that we've been doing within Qlik um, as a, a response really to the coronavirus pandemic and all these needs that we've just identified. So at Click, we were already really kind of set up to work online, we already had a website which is how you'd access your referrals um, and how you can access your voice anonymously um, and provide feedback around the service or around other service pathways. There's also an anonymous form there if you want to share bits of your story there as well. We also already had an online chat function there. So in some ways we felt like, right, okay, when this happened, we were kind of set up to do that kind of online support element already. We also wanted to respond in a fuller way as well so we extended those live chat times Um, we also opened a brand new helpline which is available four days a week Um, and we would love to hear from women around our opening times if anybody's got any feedback around that that would be really helpful Um, and women's workers are still available for one-to-one support as well so obviously that one-to-one support same kind of across the board generally with services just now that's via phone that's via text via whatsapp and it could be via zoom if that's your preferred way of communicating at the minute as well and also still providing support and advocacy around other services but also just to let you guys know that we are here just as a listening ear as well Um, if you just need somebody to talk to right now. Um, We're also here uh, to support women to access emergency funds. And one of the things that Shannon worked on particularly when we were in that sort of beginning phase, um, which I can say I think is an amazing resource because um, I don't know if I think Shannon would be too modest to describe it that way, but she worked on um, a resource hub around coronavirus. So that is looking at, across Scotland, resources at a really local level and providing support and how they're providing support right now for women who sell or exchange sex. So all of that is available on our website, which is click.scot.
1: Yeah, so it's not just um, Click, of course, that's been adapting and being flexible to women's needs and change and how we provide support right now. When we spoke to Rachel, she spoke a lot about her role in the Wishy sexual health clinic in Edinburgh and what they're doing to continue to support women's sexual well-being during lockdown.
5: Another way works in partnership um, with NHS Lothian to deliver our Wishes service, which is Women's Inclusive Sexual Health Extended Service. So Wishes um, is a kind of one-stop shop, we like to call it, for sexual health, but also for support. So um, if a woman who's involved in the sex industry, she can come along, get all her sexual health testing done, but if she needed support with anything else, um, I would be there for ad hoc support or kind of further one to one, so even if it was something like oh I need a bit of support with my housing or I I'm I, I would like to a referral into a certain service, we have a pathway of referrals we can make. So that's kind of what wishes normally does. So wishes just now, um, similar to a lot of services, have had to adapt and change the way they work. Um, the nurses, the wishes nursing staff are working really really hard to try and deliver the same service just in a kind of different way. So, at the moment, um it is obviously changing rapidly. <laughs> um but for the last couple of weeks it's, it's been that if you are a woman and you have symptoms of an STI, um or you have an unwanted pregnancy, um you can still be seen um in, in person. Um you get in contact with somebody in the wishes team, they would triage you over the phone. So you, then you'll be invited in for a kind of normal con- normal con- consultation. However, if you are a woman who does not have symptoms but are normally get regularly tested, um, the Wishes team can send you out a home STI testing kit that can be sent away and you can have um, your results within seven days. So women can have STI testing kits sent out to them um, along with condom and lube. Um, so yeah, the, women, uh, the women Wishes nurses are also still able to chat to you. If you want to give them a phone, if you have some concerns about your sexual health or just a question, um they can get you can get in contact with them. Um, so we really hope just now that we're doing everything we can to still meet women involved in kind of selling sex sh- sexual health needs.
1: And I think it's really important to draw attention to some of the work that's been done at a community level um, by organisations like Umbrella Lane and organisations like Swarm, who have both set up their own emergency funds for people involved in the sex industry. And when we spoke to Anastasia at Umbrella Lane, she let us know a wee bit more about this fund and also what Umbrella Lane are doing to keep a sense of community right now.
2: Yeah, so Umbrella in Lane, initially when COVID-19 kind of hit and everybody was affected, um, we ran a community needs assessment, um, just a quick community check-in with everybody within our network who's engaged in sex work. and um, We asked questions around immediate needs, and medium needs and more long-term needs. So in terms of the immediate needs, it was extremely like, clear what came back. People had an immediate need to access um, financial assistance, people who were in a position where they couldn't afford their, their basic necessities. Um, so to that end, Umbrella Lane started an emergency fundraiser um, and thanks to generous donations from mainly from the public, from other organisations, and then laterally from, um, from kind of bigger businesses um, that are used by sex workers to advertise their services. Uh, we've raised over twenty four thousand pounds in total, so we are now able to give um, sex workers who apply um emergency cash payments of one hundred and fifty pounds each month until the the lockdown is is eased and sex workers can return to work so that was really a kind of a process of trying to alleviate um immediate stress and, and anxiety by giving people um access to financial assistance. Um more medium term what sex workers were saying to us was that they were they were worried about missing a sense of community and connection um, and that they were they were worried about the effects of isolation on their mental health. I think for many people in this industry who are not out to families and friends, even not even out to partners, living in isolation under lockdown with people that you effectively have to um kind of maintain two lives and a double life. And um, can be extremely stressful and, and umbrellaan spaces are often used by people because they're non-judgmental and they're sex worker only in the in the most in the majority of times. And um, they're used by people to really kind of air like their concerns or just have a laugh, but just in that in that um, security that that they're not going to be judged um, and nobody's gonna out them as sex workers. So people were worried about their mental health and this kind of feeling of lack of connection. So we've moved our, um, we run a weekly drop-in for sex workers in Glasgow every week on a Tuesday. We've now moved that onto a digital platform. So anybody who's verified as a sex worker, and that can actually be sex workers all over the world, can access that drop-in 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, But Umbrella Lane hosts it on a Tuesday for those four hours that we did before in person. Um, some of the more kind of long term needs that were, were identified by sex workers in terms of what a Lane could provide was just a feeling of um, still being connected and inspired and feeling enthusiastic and, and trying to keep our spirits up as a community at this time. So one of the ways that we've tried to respond to that need is to set up monthly webinars. And what we do is we crowdsource um, ideas from within the community as to like, who would be inspiring to hear from or what kind of topics would you like to learn about in an online webinar. We then reach out to that person um, and invite them to do a webinar for hosted by Umbrella Lane, but for the community. So we've heard
1: um, about all the, the different ways that services across Scotland are being flexible and adaptive to meet women's, women's needs right now, but it's not the case that services are just swooping in and doing everything for women. Women with lived experience of selling or exchanging sex are incredibly resilient. And when we spoke to Rachel, she spoke a little bit about the different ways that women are supporting their, their own wellbeing being during this time
5: self care is so personable and it it uh, so personal and it works different for everybody so I think the things that we discussed kind of walking i 've had some women that have picked up some very interesting and different sports um that they 've been doing through watching videos on youtube so there's the, there 's that and that for them is they're decided that during lockdown i want to I want to learn something so they 've been doing um, different kind of like karate and things like that Um, by watching YouTube videos so um, I guess everybody's quite different um, I've had a lot of women telling me about all the baths they're having and um, a few women have linked in with kind of apps like Calm um, and are focusing on mindfulness which I really like
0: So I think it's really important that we think about and and talk about and celebrate all the things that women are doing on an individual level around health and well-being, around practising self-care. But it's also really important that we don't just focus on what we're doing ourselves as individuals around it. Actually, there was a real shared message from all the services that we spoke to around concerns about what life is going to look like as we move on to whatever the next stage will be. I'm not going to say post-COVID because we don't know what that looks like, but whatever the next phase is going to be. There's a potential that there's going to be a humongous impact on all of our mental health. So I think that actually a lot of the services that we spoke to had a real concern around provision of mental health support and how we go about accessing that support. Um, One of the things that we're doing around self-care at the moment is a new project called Together Alone. Um, This is a space for women um, to create a collective toolkit around self-care so we really want to hear from women about what's important what helps them what they think might help other women to kind of foster a bit of connectivity between one another we're going to be sharing tips as workers and things as well because we do want it to be this kind of collective endeavor but it's not just about like we see that individual level
3: yeah definitely
1: I think um a really important thing to point out here is that when it comes to self-care of course it's important of course it can be radical and really really powerful but at the end of the day like you could practice as much self-care as you possibly could and that isn't even going to skim the surface of how you're feeling in terms of your mental well-being so with Together Alone we don't want it to just be a case of we're sharing self-care tips as if that's going to be the solution to everything we want it to be this really critical space a space where we can celebrate women's resilience but also a call to action really about what mental health support needs to look like as we move forward as a Scotland living alongside coronavirus, what do women need in terms of mental health support what does does that look like for women in the industry?
0: If you want to learn a bit more about Together Alone then you can go to our website which is clickmagazine.online. All the information is there and we've also got a lot of tips and a lot of resources and things going out via our social media at the moment as well. I think as well, like
1: overwhelmingly, there is a sense from all the services that we spoke to that this needs to be a period of real creativity, of innovation, of change. It's, it's funny that it's took a global pandemic to almost get us all thinking adaptively about things that weren't working in our services and how we can make it better. But when I say what wasn't working in our services, I don't I don't just mean specialist services that work specifically with women in the industry. Like so, things like Click, things like Umbrella, Lane, I mean other other mainstream services as well. How can things like housing improve? How can things like welfare improve? And like we were just saying there, how can mental health support provision improve as well? This really needs to be a time where mainstream services feel like their staff are upskilled enough to provide the support that women in the industry needs and that women feel that they can approach um, these services, whether that be a specialist service, whether it be a mainstream service, that women feel that they can go to these services and access them and get the, the help that they need. And I think this was
4: demonstrated really well by Linda. You know, I really think that this is the time that we need to be creative in Scotland and we need to be innovative in Scotland about meeting women's needs. So I think what's really brought up for me is that there is a need for specialist services working with women and those specialist services need to have trained, skilled staff who really understand women's lives, who keep women at the core, who are dynamic, who are creative, that are local, that know the local landscapes and that those specialist services can build up the relationships with all kinds of local services, community resources, To really ensure that all of them have women's needs on their landscape. I think those specialist services are really well placed to support women um, whilst they're involved. Offering harm reduction of course, offering harm reduction has to be at the core of it all, but I also think what we need to be really factoring in is much more support available through those specialist services. You know I was talking to a worker the other day And she was saying that, you know, some of the women that she's worked with maybe before were doing really quite well in their lives. She maybe checked in with them once a week, but now the women want checked in with three, four times a week. So I think we need to look at much more specialist resources available that offer harm reduction, that offer befriending, that offer a listening ear, offer the support that women want and need, but also are able to tap women quite quickly into some of the other local services. I think we need mainstream services um, to have trained staff, to have policies, to have protocols in place, so that whenever a woman comes through and discloses to them, that, or potentially discloses to them that they've been involved in selling or exchanging sex, that they don't get a stigma, stigmatising judgmental reaction, that actually it's not about victimising the women either it's understanding the skills and resources that women have, but also the the need for the support. Um, I think that those mainstream services have to look at what they're able to offer and how they engage with women. So I think this is the time that we can really shape some of those bigger institutions um,
0: and bigger services. So these changes, this creativity, this flexibility and, you know, being sort of more responsive to women it needs to be a continued legacy it can't just be a one-off thing that happens during our responses to covid and we've heard some really interesting things about how mainstream services for example are responding to women Um, and here's jenna to talk a little bit more about how some of the women that she supports have actually gone from having massive weights around housing to then being housed within a day but i think
3: what this crisis has shown us that the council the government you know people higher up are completely capable of housing people so there's not really need there's not really any need for there to be rough sleeping especially if things now um can be organized quite quickly like accommodation can be ready within the day and that's with uh, services working with sort of like skeleton staff or just limited to phone contact. so in normal times when they're at full capacity there's not really any reason for that not to be the case then too.
0: So it's really interesting and in some ways encouraging that services have been able to have quicker responses just now but one thing to bear in mind is that this can't just be a tick box exercise it can't just be like all oh, right okay we've housed that women right forget about it now, there has to be some longevity. I think Linda talks really nicely about that here.
4: I think one of the interesting things in COVID that we have found, particularly for some of the more vulnerable women, is you know services that these women were on a waiting list. Um, they'd struggled to get stable, safe accommodation for a very long time. Well, all of a sudden in, in COVID, Jesus, these services are able to fast track women into housing able to fast track them into, you know, safe accommodation. And my question is, if you can do it now, why weren't you doing it before? And if you can do it now, the learning is, this is what we need to maintain into the next phase. So maybe some of the positives are, if we look at a change in kind of way of services that have been working during COVID, can we take that good practice? Can we take that learning? And can we ensure that that's the future way that we work with women? So the learning I think for services is if you are able to do it now, you need to be able to do it in the future. I've heard from a woman just last night who was put into accommodation, but sadly within the accommodation, she's now being sexually exploited by the other residents in that accommodation. But my concern is sometimes it'll be a tick box exercise. So for some women, it'll be, okay, well, we've got them into this. It's not great. It's not perfect, but it'll do. But actually, it has the people haven't really thought about all of the issues that are there for some of the women and what that will mean. So we have to keep lobbying and we have to keep fighting and we have to keep the pressure on to make sure that whatever women are being tapped into is still appropriate, that it's still of a high quality and that it's not putting women back into really dangerous or risky situations
0: so while this can't be a tick box exercise it's also really really important that women themselves are actively sought out and listened to throughout this process of shaping service responses but also it's really important that resourcing supports this there's going to be mistakes made and we're going to have to pilot things
4: and we're going to have to find new ways of working that may not be the best way for women therefore we have to listen to women we have to allow them opportunities to criticize services we have to give them the open door to go do you know what this is all a pile of rubbish and i need something different and i think that's whenever we all need to be brave and courageous and with the idea that we need to try things out we may not come up with a perfect solution but you know we have to i think go into the next phase both willing to make mistakes and also, I think, for women to know that mistakes are going to be made. Um, and, but the, with the idea that things can change, you know, we have to find a new way of working. And we're not going to hit that perfect jigsaw puzzle right away. It's going to have to be an ongoing process. And that can only happen whenever we've got good relationships with women and we've got really good dialogue with women. And also that services are prepared to take a bit on the chin. Um, and to go all right okay we didn't get it right this is what women tell us we now need and this is what we now need to do so this is why I think it's you said there about that real creative kind of process in a way it's gonna have to be ongoing it's gonna have to be reviewed it's gonna have to change but can I say Anna that can only happen whenever services and everybody gets the resources to do it you know and I think for far too long some services have been operating on shoestrings for women. Um, and that, you know, peer support models have been operating on shoestrings. And I think, you know, maybe the time, this is the time that we call a bit more for the purse strings to be opened. All the services that we've spoke to for this podcast have brought up just how
1: they are working with women to adapt their service, kind of figure out ways that we can bring in-person support back in a way that's safe and uh, in what ways we can adapt our services as well to build up trust and engagement um, during this really weird and difficult time. And just to touch back on Linda's point around about resourcing, needing, needing to support us and how we change the, the service that we deliver, um, it's just important to acknowledge that there has been new funding for the Scottish Government of over £60,000. It was announced on the 17th of May which is um, being delivered to the Encompass Network and this will be used to help tap women into counselling support with a small amount um, used for direct financial support to women as well. And there's also the Victim, victim Fund from Victim Support Scotland um, which can help women access financial assistance of up to £3,000 and you don't have to have a crime number to access this fund at all and click women's workers can help women access both that encompass funding and the the victim support funding there as well but again just to hammer home that point that any funding this funding that we have right now and any future funding the way that we use it really needs to be guided by women themselves
0: and what they need i think as well as being guided by women themselves which is I think probably one of the most important takeaways, but as well as that, it can't just be us specialist services who are looking to improve things for women. We need to really include mainstream services like housing, like welfare benefits, like mental health. All of us as services need to be coming around the table at a local and a national level to ensure that these voices of women are treated as a priority. And that is a priority at the legal level, at the policy level, and at the service response level as well. So we can acknowledge that, yeah, there are some small changes happening. So you've spoken about that kind of small pot of funding that's available there. Um, Another change that's happening with women um, who are involved in selling or exchanging sex, they've they've been explicitly named um, and included in the COSLA national guidance that's just coming out. Now, we've already mentioned that COSLA are the um, local authority lead they're also the co-signatories alongside Scottish Government of Equally Safe, which is their strategy around violence against women and girls. So this national guidance is about having a joined up approach across local governments to protect the well-being of women in various marginalised communities, including um, women who sell or exchange sex. We do still need to keep pushing. We really need a coordinated response between specialist services, mainstream services, and we need these conversations to keep happening at the local and the national level with women at the core at all times. Anastasia really highlights this need to work together and alongside women to make sure that all service responses
2: are meaningful within an appropriate legal framework. Um, I think following this we must as any service or agency who has an interest and a genuine and authentic interest in the well-being of people who engage in sex work to sit around a table and develop a proposal for a legal framework and a policy framework that better serves the needs and protects the rights of people who are involved in the sex industry and I think that that's something um, that's really come out of COVID-19 is that people feel left out of current government measures due in part or at least in part to this to the legal framework that's in place.
0: In our discussions with Linda, she also called for an improved legislative approach. I want to see more protection put in place
4: for women. I want to see a lot more protection put in place for women who um are involved in online selling and exchange in sex. I want to see that we have a different kind of legislative approach in Scotland around this, not just for the women selling and exchanging sex online, but I also think in all elements of the sex industry, you know, I, as ever, we've been calling for many years for the decriminalization of the sale of sex for women who are involved and men who are involved in selling. And I think that needs to be put back in the policy landscape that we should not be criminalizing women for selling sex, either on the street or indoors. And I think this is the time that Scotland needs to move forward towards that.
0: We really can't emphasize enough that it can't just be specialist support services for women who are calling for these conversations, calling for these changes. We need this change and these conversations to be happening across the board. If you're a service that would like to be part of this conversation via the podcast, then the details um, for how you can contact us are in the show notes again. And again, it's, it's not just specialist services that we're wanting to or will be talking to for the podcast moving forward. We're wanting to talk to a whole spectrum of services as we go on. But this brings us towards the end of our very first episode of Clickcast. So We really wanted to end this kind of conversation with a really positive message of hope for how the support landscape in Scotland could look for women if we actually do get creative and we do work together. So here's Linda with a closing message.
4: So, you know, I think this is the time that maybe we all need to work an awful lot better together and still keep women at the core and women's voices at the core. And maybe this is the time that we need a bit more creative partnerships and a bit more creative relationships where we all decide okay let's see how we can work together to move this forward and if we say that actually that we want women women's best interests to be met and that we want women at the core well this is the time that we need to do that and not to go back to the old ways of working and for people to make a commitment for a bit of a fresh start um, across the board you know um and a fresh start that actually why couldn't we come up with one of the best models globally? That's, I mean, that's what I really want is actually that people look at Scotland and go, Jesus, look what they're trying. Isn't that amazing what they're trying to do? They're, they're using creatively, you know, they're bringing in the creative sector, they're bringing in the private sector, they're bringing in public sector, they're working with the women, it's the community sector, it's charities, it's women themselves, it's peer support. So I would really love that actually the positive at the end of this all Not trying to sound, um, you know, not trying to sound like it's all blue sky thinking, but to think maybe this is the time actually that Scotland can do its damnedest to come up with something that's really quite impressive. that's led by women, that offers opportunities for women, um, that has women at the core. And everybody steps out of their silos and actually comes up with something that, yeah, globally people go, they've got it. So that's it for the first episode of Clickcast. Thank you
1: all for listening and thank you so much to all the women who contributed towards this podcast and all the services we heard from too. We'll include all the info on how you can get in touch with each service in the show notes. We hope this episode has helped you give a general overview of the challenges women in the industry are facing right now. And I think the key message here is that services, both specialist and mainstream, need to be completely open and actively include women in the process of shaping the service landscape in Scotland as we start to learn how to live alongside coronavirus. We'll be back next month to talk about money in more detail, exploring how women in the industry have been overlooked in government financial support and what needs to be done to support women's financial well-being. If you're a woman with lived experience of the industry or a service with experience of supporting women, we'd love to hear from you. Check out our show notes at clickmagazine.online for different ways to get in touch. And thank you very much to Purple Planet for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast.